I'm Philadelphia sports comedian Joe Conklin, and you're listening to The True Philadelphia Podcast with Matt O'Donnell. When I asked Joe Conklin where he wanted to meet me for this podcast, he suggested the New Wave Cafe in South Philadelphia, a gritty yet sophisticated bar with lots of drinks, high tops, TVs, a pool table, and tons of personality, a lot like Joe Conklin. He does not deviate when it comes to his Philadelphia story. There were no Philadelphia sports comedians when he was growing up, so he worked his rear off, became one, and became the best at it. He transforms himself into the people we cheer for, the people we boo, and the people we wish would have never left our sports universe. Prepare for some laughs as Joe Conklin helps us mark Season 3, Episode 1 of the True Philadelphia Podcast. Here with Joe Conklin, Philadelphia sports comedian, WIP contributor, host of the Comedy Night at the Parks Casino. Did I miss anything? Um, that's about that's about right for now. Yeah. Now we can delve into other things later, I guess. Sure, whatever you need, man. <laughs> we're at the New Wave Cafe in South Philadelphia, and we're having a couple of cups of coffee, and it's still morning, and we're going to talk about Joe Conklin. That's a tough one. I usually want to talk about everybody else. So listen, uh, to top things off, I'm always curious when I watch comedy, particularly with yours. Has it, I mean, I know it's changed. Has it become more difficult? What's it like being a comedian these days with the hypersensitivity, I guess, out there? Uh, you know, being in the broadcast industry, how much everything has changed. Now, you're straight news, so, <clears throat> uh, you, but your, your little banter has always been light, and sometimes jokes like uh, some of your guys can get away with more than others. But it's all changed as far as uh, you got to watch what you say. The, um, uh, no ethnic references anymore, no sexist references anymore. Makes you work a little harder. You got to still be as funny and just kind of tighten it up a little. Do you have something sort of running in the back of your head that's like an editor now I, that you didn't have before? Uh, two things. Number one, uh, everything's scripted for me because I'm a comedian uh, at the station. Everything's scripted, and I have to have Morgani read all my scripts before they're approved and allowed on the air. So you say that, I think, on your Twitter page, and I thought you were kidding. Oh, no, 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 it's all true. Uh, but uh, so somebody else has, somebody's got to take the hit if, if they don't catch it. You know what sure, I mean? Sure. Say, hey, so it was there, I was, yeah, yeah. I was approved. Uh, and I think you know that Janet Jackson changed all this in uh, 2004 or whatever it was. There was a big lawsuit with CBS. And we're, we were CBS up until a year You're ago. You're talking about the Super Bowl nipplegate? Correct. And millions of dollars in fines. And now they don't want to pay any fines anymore. And a uh, big thing, I'm talking about the radio industry now. That affected the radio industry. Howard Stern in a big way. CBS paid a ton of fines for Howard. So as a result... If you're, if you're employing a comedian, you're going to have him under some restraints. And that's, uh, that's the best way that I can address the question you're talking about. I don't know if you were referring to the stand-up world. Well, yeah, or, that too. I mean, what's it like standing there in front of a crowd and knowing that there at any night could be somebody who's going to have a very big problem with something that you say that everyone else would be okay with? Of course. Um, I've always worked clean on stage, off stage, not so much, but... 
I've always um, done corporate luncheons and things like that where you can get paid. Uh, so I didn't have a whole lot of problem doing um, keeping my live set clean. And yeah, sexual innuendo, sometimes you got to watch. Like I said, ethnic stuff, you can't even, everything's, you got to kind of take it out. You have to take it out of your act and not put it in. Yeah, you, you're right. Everything's different now. You have to put it through a, a certain lens. But to, uh, I've kind of been used to that for a while, working during the day uh, as opposed to in nightclubs. I'm not really a nightclub comedian. I, don't, I, I, I did that for a while when I started. That's a tougher world. You've got to be tougher all over. You've got to be able to you know, walk into a, a place kind of like this where there's a, a, a bar where people don't want to see you. And you gotta, you know, try to make them laugh, and they're turning their back, and they're doing other things. They're playing pool. Sort of like you're crashing people's Thanksgiving dinner all the time. Very similar to that. When you're starting out in clubs, that's a rougher thing. When you graduate out of the clubs and get to the, I wouldn't even say bigger venues. I'd say different venues. The fact that I'm on the radio has given me a visibility where people uh, will hire me for a private party, like uh, a luncheon. And I've been doing those for a long time. So if you work luncheons, if you work during the day, you're used to working fairly clean. They just want to hear the voices uh, and then don't offend. And like you said, you, you got to watch. So you don't really run into hecklers often at all. And, and, and if you do, I mean, do you have a sort of a plan in mind if you do? When you're talking about a heckler in a nightclub, you're talking about somebody who's either drank, uh, drunk or has too much to drink or somebody that wants to be part of the show. And you usually you get one or two give and takes with a heckler, and then you need somebody from the club to help you out because you don't want to do the heckling all night. A couple pops is fine, boom, boom, move on. Let me get back to my material. Other people paid to see me, not you. So that's kind of the, uh, the mentality of it. But you have to have a couple of pops ready, like, oh, yeah, you, you know, and... Nowadays, they have to be clean. When you're in the club and somebody's coming at you, you normally, I got some, some really foul things to say right back. If somebody curses at me, I got a better curse waiting for them. You know what I mean? Or, you know, uh, or insults me, I got an insult coming back at them. How about but, this? Joe, you suck. You suck, yeah. Well, uh, that's the same thing uh, so-and-so said to me, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you can go start talking about them personally. Yeah, the, 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 and that the sort of ends way. things quickly, right? When you get well, personal. You hope. You hope one or two exchanges ends things. If it doesn't, you need help from the club to say, dude, you got to shut up or you're leaving. You know what I mean? But if you go back and forth, like I said, more than a few times, it just becomes a different show than it's something you don't want. You come in with your show, your set. You don't want the guy to derail you. Yeah, hecklers suck, man. It's horrible. <laughs> and you, you don't get them at a luncheon because you're usually in people's workplace. Sure, and sure. they're not in there yelling stuff out. <laughs> getting the boss, salad and they're like, oh. they're not When their boss is right in the room. Sure. Now, the other thing that's the drag on that is some people don't want to laugh in front of their coworkers and bosses at certain material, you know, or don't want to be seen. Oh, my God, I think I'm not. That's why if you... Uh, if you do something that's a little uh, off kilter, it's, you know you can you can bomb real bad in a corporate setting. I had a person I was doing. Somebody just reminded me this uh, last week. I was doing a corporate thing. It was at a picnic at a pharmaceutical company out in the Fort Washington area, where there's a few of them. And 
We're doing somebody, you know, they're just um, entertaining. And a lot of times you get in trouble with the political. And I was doing, Obama was the president. And, you know, it was post 9-11. And um, you know, I used to do Barack Obama. Uh, I forget what the material was, but I was saying this and that. And in the middle of my routine, the HR person comes, literally comes over and takes the microphone right out of my hand. That's it. That's, that's it. We're going to go back to the balloons over here and the, the food's over there. <laughs> Like, hey, and all you're doing is just imitating him. I was basically doing, um, I was imitating him, but I try to be funny, too. I don't just read like you read in the book. There was material there. I forget what it was. It must have been, it might have been towards uh, uh, the um, Islam, you know what I mean? Muslim, who knows? Um, but you got you to gotta walk a straight line. Now, sometimes if you even say, if you even say Muslim, Islam, you know. Well, that's a, that's a friendly enough word, isn't it? You would think. But as soon as they hear it, it's a trigger, and this thing's over. Sure. You know? So, I didn't even say terrorists. You didn't say terrorists. No, not in the same sentence. You grew up in Olney. You went to Temple. You're a local guy. Um, do you have any, any memories or any sort of funny stories you have like growing up in that neighborhood and going to college and trying to find your way? Sure. I mean... Uh, that that's built my entire persona the fact that i grew up in a in a, a row home and you know i was just thinking about this the other day when you think about philly they call it a city of neighborhoods the neighborhoods were really like individual small towns you didn't really need to go out of Olney. i mean next door was Longcrest or logan you only went them for maybe a travel game or when you got to high school you got to meet those those guys but um we had everything we needed it was like americana right there little league baseball the candy store, uh, got people on your block. It takes a village. You were right. You couldn't, uh, you know, you you couldn't misbehave on the block. You would. You had eight parents. You know, anybody who was sitting out could have corrected you. Uh, as far as funny anecdotes, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I used to imitate my my neighbors, and we have a guy that we do on the radio now. We have a Chip Snappers Tap Room. It's a. It's it's. We say it's in Kensington, but it was really modeled after where I first drank at uh, Harry's uh, Harry's and Pat's, one block in either direction of my house, 3rd and Spencer or 2nd and Godfrey. And uh, we had a guy named Ozzy. Uh, his name's Jim Osborne. We called him Ozzy. Uh, but, Anyone who's uh, Osborne is Ozzy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of named, uh, you know, pattern after Ozzy, but we, we twanged him a little bit more. Uh, we put, a, you know, a little Philly accent. And and the the uh, there's an Irish stable there named Flynn. Well, that's the exact voice of the guy who worked at the candy store, at uh, uh, Reynolds Candy Store, Mr. Reynolds. That's a third and Spencer. We just took his voice. So I cast a lot of my old, the voices that I grew up with in my act are still there today. Like we do uh, Billy the Helper. Billy the Helper is a guy who help out, would call up and for solutions. You try to help you out with your topics for today. That's my cousin Billy Dykin. It's a real person. Doctor Bob McLaughlin, see. Doctor Bob said he to help out with injuries. See, uh, athlete gets injured, we diagnose and then recommend a therapy. We do. Uh, I'm a non-practicing clinical psychologist. We do some surgery and aluminum siding. Now, that is my Uncle Bob McLaughlin, who um, uh, was a caddy and a worker at the Bud plant. Posthumously, we made him a doctor. 
Uh, <laughs> that was nice of you. It's just a good voice. So I do draw from, uh, you know, the old experiences, sure. You know. I, I, when did you realize you could imitate people? Uh, when I was a little kid, like five, six years old. Is this Howard Cosell, I think, Correct. was the story? Yeah, Howard Cosell was one of the first celebrity voices. Uh, first of all, it's got to be in my genes. My, both my parents are, were singers. Okay. Uh, they, everybody in our house could sing. They were all in the choir. They're still performers. We had uh, my, Both of my brothers sing in bands. My sister sings at funerals and weddings. Uh, so she, you know, she still performs. She runs the choir at church. So we're a singing family. So we have the, vo the, the vocal cords and the genes of that. Um, I never really was a big uh, choir person. I lasted one day, but I always, and we all mimic people in our house. I, I'm the sixth of seven, so this is all coming and down. Four of them are girls, right? Four girls, yeah. three boys, yeah, two brothers. And um, so I, I, we were always doing voices. My father used to imitate the bishop, Bishop Graham. You know, the bishop would call the house because my dad sang, sang funerals at church. He would get a stipend uh, as, as a side job. And um, so impressions and getting laughs was the thing in, in our house growing up. It's kind of how you uh, made your value, you know what I mean? How your worth, you know? You got to be funny, you got to do some voices. So it was kind of like I've, I've been doing them since I, since I know since I can remember. So when I watch you, like, videotapes, particularly during your act, when I see you imitate someone, you start to look like them. It's almost like you, you, there's a metamorphosis, especially like Charles Barkley. You start to look so like... So funny. I'm glad you said that. I guess that's good. I don't know what happens. I know that other voice guys actively do that. I don't think I... I don't know. I mean, I, I, I do whatever I got to do to get there, you know? Like if I got to do Joel and B, I don't know if I look like him right now. Do I look tired? Do I look exhausted? I don't want anybody to boo me. How about a tough, a gritty? You know, I, I don't know if I turn into the person. I just, um, I just try to get to that spot. You know what I mean? Sure, spot sure. on the floor. How, how, tell me the, the process. So you, you find someone you want to imitate, someone who's colorful, obviously. What happens next? Uh, you start listening to them. And I, I would love to say that I listen over and over and over, but I really don't. I'll listen one time, and then I'll go about my day, and I'm going to get somebody. That, uh, you wind up like if somebody's got a commercial over and over, or there's a sound bite that keeps being played, played for a week, you know what I mean? Or uh, it's a top news story. You know, that's when just things keep coming back. And at the same time, not only are they in my head, they're in everybody's head. So you the... Uh, comedy, well, we, we took a four-credit course at Temple. Humor writing. The first rule of comedy is R, 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 RSVP is, is one of the little acronyms or whatever. First is R, recognition. If nobody knows what you're talking about, it can't be funny because they don't know. Oh, I don't get it. I don't know what to So you have to do, if I'm going to imitate somebody, you you got to imitate somebody who everybody else knows. You know what I mean? Or you'd have to set everything up. So you kind of want to go after people who everybody is hearing, everybody is seeing. They're in the news. They are the story. Then you have to, um, you, you got to get there somehow. You got to keep playing. Some people you never get. Some people you'll get only after you hear somebody else do their impression of them. And they say, oh, I never heard that part. He's tweaking it over here. I always went in 
from the front, he's going from the side, you know what I mean? Like uh, where, they, where they land in the vocal range. Um, Is that it, one you never got? Well, that's what I, I, I was talking about. Um, I remember I never got John Madden until I saw Caliendo start doing them. Okay. I mean, I, I was going to put an ad in the paper for somebody to do John Madden. Because I couldn't get them down, and I was trying them in different things. And, you know, Brett Favre, you got the great Brett Favre. <laughs> the Brett Packers and the Cubs and the Vikings and so on and so on. But it wasn't until Caliendo broke the code, so to speak. And I saw, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. I heard something different. And I just started doing that. And then you can go back around and grab more from the front, whether it's texture or cadence or... Um, and the phrasing really is important, what you're saying, right? Yeah, the words, the, wor the catchphrases and words, I think more than anything is the sound and the cadence. Like, for example, Merle Reese. Like, <clears throat> Merle Reese, thank you, Matt. It's great to sit here with you. I, l I only watch Channel 6. See, now I put that in. He doesn't do that. But for some reason, he, he might do that. And when he gets excited, you want him to get excited and start going in the high pitch. But if you listen, if, like if, I'm in, if I hear Merle Reese's voice on a commercial in the background, in another room, like two doors, two rooms away, all you hear is, oh, 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 oh. There's a lot of bass, oh, right? Oh, 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 oh. A lot of what? It's more like there's some treble going on. It's like it's oh, hitting yeah, the yeah. treble. Yeah. No, but I'm talking about the cadence. Sure, sure. You know what I mean? He pops and he's in and out. And, and, and if, if you get the flow of that and make the right sound, you can get real close to the, to the actual duplication of the voice without even saying words. It's, it's almost like he's riding a horse. Yeah, yeah. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> And that horse's name is Carson Wentz. People get mad when you imitate them, right? Uh, no. No one's ever uh, said, uh, stop uh, that. I won't say uh, never. Mostly people are, are flattered. But initially, I, you know, what I've, I've done a couple hundred voices of people around here probably. Uh, I've had many different... Uh, uh, you know, reactions. Merrill, I don't know where he was. I wasn't around when I first started doing him, but when I, by the time I met him, he was always real cool with me. I, I just love your impression. I think it's fantastic. But Bill Campbell, when I first, was very, not, not too far away from Merrill, as far as the, the votes down deep in the, in the vocals, but he used to throw a little helping of mashed potatoes on top for Bill Campbell. Oh, my, oh my, are you kidding me? So I started doing Bill on the, the morning show and I was doing them all the time and he was still working there but he was like coming back part time or something <laughs> I had run into him in the hallway I would run into him in the hallway and Morgani says you know Campbell's pissed at you he doesn't like it so I had I went over and confronted him I just not confronted him I introduced myself he says Bill, I'm Joe Conklin. I've been imitating you on the. I know who you are, Joe. Uh, 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 oh, what? No, that was somebody different. What did he say? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I just I heard you might have been upset. I wanted to make sure you're fine with it. No, I'm fine with it. It's my daughter who's upset, and she's an attorney. <laughs> oh, no. But after a while, about six months a year, Bill Campbell and I became close friends. I would I, out to lunch with him a couple times a year. I used to do his banquet every year, and he was a great guy. And uh, I guess, you know, people just kept coming up to him. I guess he had a, you know, 
relents and just fall in. You know. Spot on. You have to appreciate the invitation, you know. I, I think Andy Reid might be another guy that sort of warmed up to you or needed some time. Yeah, well, I, the, the, the sports writers' banquet was always the big event. That was kind of my Super Bowl because the principals were right there. You know, athletes, coaches, players were sitting, and I had to do it in front of them because I'm going to do it on the radio. Is that frightening? Oh, it's, no, it's exciting. It's thrilling. Not it's, even just... It's a, a smidge frightening, but you know, I know I'm going to do it, and I'm just... It's, it's like, come on, you got to get out there. Go, go up and walk on the, on the tightrope a little bit. That was always fun. Um, but Reed, I think we pounded him a little too hard with Fetch. Yeah, did you say something about it? <laughs> yeah, I used to do Andy Reed. Hey, when the chips are down, I'll eat them. Um, but... I think what happened was uh, he got a little sensitive, and they, they would uh, they, they would complain about me at the banquet. Oh, we're not sending people if, if uh, Conklin's going to be uh, pounding us. Why would we do that? You know, we send our coach there. And you're going to you're going to trash us. So it was always a little give it, sure, sure. little push pull. Uh, talk, talk about the Philadelphia sports fan. How, do you, how would you describe this individual to people in another part of the world that doesn't have any biases whatsoever? Honestly, it's changed. You know, I think there is a sport. Uh, uh, it's there now. There's the. Uh, I mean, I've I've been doing this my whole life. I mean, I've, I've obviously here my whole life. I grew up in in the late '70s into the '80s when there wasn't the celebrated Philadelphia sports band, the public caller to WIP, the guy who dresses up. There was just mean people, right? Or Oh, I remember my my. Oh, I remember the old guys. They they did uh, the first thing I saw as a kid was um, they they were they were burning a Dallas Cowboy jersey in effigy with a dummy inside it. I was like, oh my god, that that, that really happens. They were at the playground down the street from my house. Um, and oh, oh, I thought you were going to say it was at like the 700 level or something. No, it was no, at no. the playground. No, they were in the neighborhood. <laughs> uh, I saw, you know, when I was a kid going to games, I saw Eagles fans carrying drunks into the stadium. I saw these guys sneaking a keg of beer into the stadium on a wheelchair. Guy was sitting on, oh, in, right. on a wheelchair. He was sitting on the keg. And they wheeled him in. So I, I just know that Philadelphians are tough. Uh, you know, we're jagged edge. We want people to, uh, to hustle, to earn their money. And sports just kind of exploded out of that. Now, with the Philadelphia sports fan, you're talking about people that boo or not boo or praise. I think what you have now is, and I, I mean, I don't complain about it, but you, you have celebrity fans now, and you have the – uh, the uh, the group of Philadelphia fans that have a reputation now, so it's kind of been, it's kind of changed. Um, I don't know, it's changed factioned in, in, into something. It's not really factioned. Just, it wasn't celebrated before. It was just kind of over here. Now it's in the front. Oh, you better prove something. Us, the fans. Nobody talked about the fans as a a force at all ever. Now it's a big thing. Well, you got something happening right now today. You got a real issue with Joel Embiid. He actually got booed, and he started complaining. We're going to see what happens tonight. He shushed the fans, sure. and he used the profanity. He basically gave them the finger, but he didn't do that. But that's what he – so we'll see if he gets booed tonight. Now, the Sixers fans are a lot different than they were when I was growing up. Uh, they're, they're, they're too forgiving. They're too – they praised tanking, which is bull. 
You know what I mean? Losing on purpose. Sam Hinkie died for our sins kind of stuff. Really? You got that faction. That's a new fan. That's not a Philadelphia. I don't know what that is, to be honest with you. That's somebody that's foreign to me. Let me throw this at you. I mean, the change in venues, the nicer stadiums, the, the, the more money it costs to go to these games. Has that created a different type of fan? And not necessarily the ones who are really the big supporters, but the ones that just so happen to have you know, the chance to buy the tickets. Yes, there, there's a lot of truth in that. <clears throat> there's also um, you know, the generational change. Look at them. Everybody wants to be a star. Everybody's on camera. People walk around on the street taping themselves. You don't even they're not doing them. anything. <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. I, I, you, can, you watch people on the street. It's just a girl's taking a picture. A, a guy's walking down talking to himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, Does that creep you out? It's just odd. It makes me feel a little old. Like, uh, wow, wow, what's what's happening? What is going on here? Well, my thing is like, it, let's say the aliens finally come, because everyone's wondering when are they going to discover us and start, you know, poking and prodding us. And they get here, and everyone's like this, and they're like. Where's the next place we can go? Let's get out of here. <laughs> Let's refuel and, and go. Yeah, there's some of that. I feel that way sometimes. It's like, what has happened to the world? Uh, and what has happened to the Philadelphia sports fan? I think um, uh, at, at heart we are um, smart and, and we're allowed to boo because we, we care about it. And really, bottom line is if you show hustle, if you show sure. desire, that's the kind of person we want. If you have talent and you act like you're above us, then we don't, we're going to boo you. And they, they booed the greatest baseball player that ever played, Mike Schmidt. That's him. Super talent, but haughty. And uh, Hall of Famer, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm going to tell you, you know what, I played the game. I wound up in the Hall of Fame. Now, he's a guy who's on TV now, and he can't, he can't help stepping in it every single time he opens his mouth. He just puts himself above. I'm, I'm lofty. I'm above all of you commoners. <laughs> and he is, but you don't have to say it. You want to, you know, Philadelphians, we want you to be down to earth. We want you to be uh, uh, with us, with the peeps. You mentioned Joel Embiid, and, and he has this big thing with social media and Twitter, and he's very good at it in many, many ways. And you mentioned the incident with the shushing, and I think what we've finally seen is that there is a massive reverb or, or reflex that can happen when you push at social media the wrong way and it can send things back in your face at high speeds. And that in and of itself may be another way that the fan has changed too. What do you think about that? There's no question. I mean, I'm not a big social media person just because I look at it as more work to do. I like to do my job and then go home and be off sometimes. And you know, uh, us in the media, they, <laughs> you got to do your job and then you got to do it again on social media. So it's a little crazy. Now, it has opened up doors for many uh, entertainers, many uh, on air people, many comedians who work it. And I think it's great because it, uh, you, you can go around the corner now. You don't have to go tr through traditional channels. Look at these kids. Look at these stars. Look at these nobodies come out of nowhere. The guy on, who's the lead singer for Journey now is oh, an sure. Asian guy a great story. who they saw on YouTube. Yeah. And so I think that part is great. And 
bam, you can really affect on social media. Um, what, what was your question again? I, I, well, we're talking <laughs> about how, you know, with the, the cost of tickets and the nicer venues, and then oh, also the, the hypersensitivity the hyper of, you know, anything that you do or say on Twitter can really, or anything you just do on the court that may not have been caught by the cameras, someone can see, they can videotape it, and, and maybe the players are being more cautious than they were before, well, and not having as much fun. They should. I think so. I think that can only get you in trouble. That's one of the reasons I stay off it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I got too much to lose. I'm, I'm already, I already have a job, you know. So I, I just leave it alone. Um, but yeah, and you got a, a guy, uh, for lack of a better word, a 700 level guy or whatever, and he's got the social media just waiting for somebody to mess up, like a, like an Embiid, and you're engaging, and B comes back at him. Boom! That guy's got something, you know. Uh, a, a nobody can ruin a, 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 a multi-million-dollar superstar. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah I think it does, really can, can affect. I think it definitely has an effect. Does that scare you in a way? Just because you're not on social media, it can still happen to you. Uh, well, it's one thing that someone finds, and that there's a pile-on mentality, and then these people are like, "Oh, let's get this guy fired." It scares me if I put my foot in there and step in it. I'm always worried about stepping in it a little bit. That's why I kind of. Um, I, 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 you know, you, you don't, you want to, you don't want to leave yourself too much exposure. Um, hey, I walk the straight line. I pay my taxes. Come after me, whatever. I, uh, yeah, I, I, does, does, does it worry me? Not really, because I, I don't do anything wrong. I, I mean, I, I'm not worried about uh, certain behavior. If I was doing behavior uh, that I shouldn't be doing, then yeah, you got to watch out because. Like you said, somebody's going to be taping you and putting it up there. Is that the kind of stuff you're talking yeah, about? Absolutely. absolutely yeah. yeah. Uh, who I mean, wants, that's, that's the kind of stuff that? that I'm always thinking about because I do a live show three hours a day, five days a week, and at any moment I could do something that may not seem wrong at that moment but can lead to me losing my job the next day or oh, maybe even that day. I, th I see what you're saying. You're talking about within your broadcast, if you get caught uh, – either with a throwaway comment or, or look, doing something with your mug. That or you don't mean you as don't, anything. And somebody sees it, a viewer, they can go and put that on social media and it blows it up. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I hate it. I hate that. I don't think that's fair. But we're out there. We're, ex we're sure. exposed. Yeah, they, they say if you, you want to do X, yeah. Y, and Z, you got to take leagues. the... If you want to be in the big leagues yeah. and the... the and uh, you paid the big bucks and all that kind of stuff. you got to take what goes along with it. Bill Cosby, you have a great imitation of him. You actually met him a couple times, did the imitation with him. Any thoughts on him? Wow. He's a Philadelphia comedian. Amazing. My first thought is, man, Philly can't have anything nice. The <laughs> emblem of our city, you know, our logo, Bill Cosby, even that gets trashed and torn down, ripped apart, soiled. Uh, of course, he's a creep, you know. I, uh, Cosby, if you, if you want to say that that didn't happen and ignore the pattern of all that, and you, uh, we all know what, what went down for years and years and years. It's sad. Yeah, sure. I mean, and, and, and people... Uh, uh, held him up as a hero for a long time, and, and he was great. But 
that's that's what you got to watch. You can't put, put no people in pedestals, right? Sure, well, you yeah. never meet your heroes, right? Mad O'Donnell, the, this whole thing has been a disappointment. I'd loved you for forever. <laughs> I now, asked all the wrong I questions. Met, I met you. <laughs> the coffee stunk. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's my reaction. I, I would say typical Philadelphia. <laughs> All the pol all the politics that is has invaded comedy, whether it's you know, regular comedians, the late night comedians, Saturday Night Live. Does it make you uncomfortable? Because it wasn't always that way. It, it's almost like it has to be about politics, or it's not going to be fun. Interesting. Um, I don't agree with that. I think uh, the comic that stays away and just kind of dances around. If you say, if you say. Uh, it's hard to even say the president's name without striking a nerve somehow. Uh, By the way, you do a wonderful imitation of him. Well, I appreciate that, and you're doing great, too. You were doing a little, I was worried about, but now, perfect, fantastic. You've come around, and you're, true, am I right? Is Matt here? Great job. I met him during his campaign uh, uh, at the time, the candidate, Donald Trump, and you seem more like him than he did that day. <laughs> uh, he gives you so much, man. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, but so divisive and such a third rail. It's, it's wild. People are so emotional. About it. It's getting worse, too. It's getting worse. We'll see what happens. But, do you have uh, to read a room before you do his imitation? Um, yeah, but you, so basically I'll start in, and I got so much Trump stuff now, and it keeps changing. He, he makes you work because it's new stuff every sure. day. Um, and you see how much you can take, and I've, got, I've noticed it's really streaky. Sometimes you can do a lot, and if, if things are real hot, uh, uh, a lot of people are sick of it. You know, they're sick of it either, either side, both ways, you know, because, uh, and then you got to, I have to basically take shots at both sides while I'm doing Trump. So obviously I'm making fun of him, but I'm saying things that he would say to excite, and if I'm ripping Pelosi or a Democrat or something like that, the Republicans are all laughing or the conservatives are all laughing, but then you gotta feed both sides, okay. you know, uh, and walk down the middle. And, and then if you, if, you, if you stay too long, you can alienate like that. You, you don't lose that crowd. So you gotta kind of walk the line a little bit. And, you know, people say, oh, my God, that Trump is so good. You could do a whole half hour. You could do a whole show of Trump. You really can't because people don't want it all. You know, you got you to gotta get out of that and move on. To, you know, I do, I'll do Bernie. Oh, um, we all, I feel, oh, I feel good. I feel fantastic. I am healthy. <laughs> I am not having a heart attack. And uh, uh, Elizabeth. We are Warren, Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, so, and, and poor. You watch the polls and, and see someone's, let's, let, for instance, Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> now, he's rising in the polls, and yeah. when we're recording this, so you're like, all right, I better get start working on him just in case, right? I wish I could uh, have that kind of um, uh, maneuverability. Uh, no, I just wish I was good enough to push a button and rise. Oh, well, I'm going to do that. I'll just take it like like the Warren thing. You get deluged with the stuff. You know what I mean. And I've heard her enough, so I can start getting the voice. You know, I'm not good at females, but I get into an area. You get into a, a nice uh, zone there. It sounds enough like her. Uh, and then the face and the actions. Uh, she's got that. Uh, she's got determined to show her energy. I'm young. I'm bouncy. 
Wouldn't um, you hate to have to be a politician and have to do all these things? You, you know these all the uh, candidates they have to put on this brutal, show, right? Brutal, brutal. I mean, seriously, you guys, you you follow. I mean, you're not on the street as much anymore, but I mean, man, they're out there every day. Who, who'd want it? Who'd want it? All the selfies. All the selfies and the stops. They're, we're done here. We're going somewhere else. We're going. We're going. We're going around the clock. I'm surprised that they're, uh, you know, Sanders didn't have another heart attack or all these people that. Where they got you? You need to have energy. You need to be hard as steel. You know. Who's your favorite athlete of all time from Philadelphia, or who played in Philadelphia? Probably Larry Boa. Yeah, he was my brother's favorite growing up, and he's a prototypical Philly athlete. I always liked Jay Johnstone when I was a kid. Play Jay every day. We went down there with the banner. He was a left-handed hitter who uh, platooned in right field in the mid-'70s with Ollie Brown, who was the right-hander. Jay could hit the fastball, man. He went. They played the Reds in the, in the uh, NLCS or NLS, yeah, they call it. Right? Yeah, mid-'70s. Yeah. Okay, so I think yeah. it was 76, 77. He went 7 for 70. He was the only Philly who wow. hit in that series. But I used to love Jay Johnstone, but Larry Boa is the best. And Bob Clark. I mean, Bobby Clark and Larry Boa are the two guys that are overachievers, Minimal talent, had Hall of Fame. Well, Bowen, oh, not he's 2,000 hits, but he's not not quite a Hall of Famer. But he's a Philly Hall of Famer for sure. Bob Clark probably, you know, might be the best athlete in the history of Philadelphia sports for all he's accomplished. Wow. Yeah. So How about a coach? Ah, uh, let's see, coach. See, so it's just just from a fan, not from a, a comedian. Fan right? or just like ability, whatever. Throw anything out. <laughs> I don't care. Well, I think we got a rich coat type put me on the map. Yeah, hello, we on here? Okay. Uh, he was horrible, terrible. Um, Ozark, uh, Fergozi. <clears throat> of course, we got a little controversial. <laughs> Excuse me, with Fergozi. Um, now, favorite coach, you don't think of that too much. Um, of course, Jim Lydum's on the basketball now. He'll point to you, okay? And if you watch, he'll use his pinky over here and then flip him around, get him from the outside, and he'll come back in the back door. I'll poke you right in the eye. Uh, I love Coach Lydum. That might be my favorite coach to do, even more than Reed. I think I got the most mileage out of <clears throat> Excuse me, Andy Reed. Type yours. Uh, but uh, coaches, let's see. Best coaches ever. Uh, yeah, I, I like Dallas Green just yeah. because when I was growing up and the Phillies won the World Series and it was such an important moment for me as a kid. Short-lived, though. He came sure. in in 80 in, in the middle, didn't he? He kind of stuck around after he, he... Two years and went to Chicago. But then he came oh, back and, and he was sort of like an advisor. Around. Yeah, he was yeah. always It's around. almost yeah. like he was like this guardian angel, you know, sort of yeah. overseeing. Nice guy, too, man. Big man. Big looks dude. like a movie star. Sure. Like, like he, he could be on the Ponderosa, like uh, Ben Cartwright, you know. <laughs> Uh, or, or somebody out of Dallas or Dynasty, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I could see him with a cowboy hat, big head of white hair, great guy, big presence, nicest guy in the world. Dallas, yeah. I'll, I'll go for that. Yeah, okay. I'll go for Dallas. Hey, great. Um, favorite comedians. Do you have any comedians that you really look up to? Uh, well, I mean, I'm thinking like Rich Little would be a guy that you probably you know, watched a lot. Guy. He yeah. was the first guy that I watched and wanted to be like, of course. But in retrospect, Rich Little wasn't much of a comedian. His routines were very simple. He didn't go, he wasn't edgy at all. I mean, George Carlin is a craftsman, you know, with all the words. I love watching Chris Rock work. Um, Eddie Murphy, what an inspiration. I mean, man, delirious. 
that crafted that routine from his childhood. I mean, he's brilliant. I can only get through half of it because my my stomach would hurt so much from laughing. Yeah, Eddie Murphy and um, you would say Richard Pryor. I I just didn't. Um, they got they got a show. I think there was a special on for with him the other night that I only caught a, a little bit of it. He was the inspiration for Eddie Murphy. Richard Pryor was great, very courageous guy. But I, I, I wasn't, he wasn't really one of my heroes. I, didn't, I wasn't exposed to him. Eddie Murphy I loved. And, you know, he doesn't get a lot of play. And, of course, because he does voice his characters, uh, Mike Myers, mm-hmm. the, I mean... The, the the gold finger I mean the what's 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 the name what's the name Wayne's World Wayne, all that stuff. Wayne, the, the three movies blockbuster hits Austin I mean, Powers Austin Powers baby I mean seriously I mean movie star I mean you know I just thought I just thought he was great underrated yeah, okay what do you think is not funny um, philosophical question. joke jokes uh, a guy I, I, I have a problem I don't have a problem I think one of the worst, one of the most unfunny things is a guy getting up at a dinner or uh, an event or, or saying an old joke. Uh, like, hey, uh, this reminds me of a joke. You don't want to announce a joke and then tell a joke. Anything long is horrible. You need to kind of blend it and make it not sound like your joke. Or just do it quick. Pacing is real important. Anything that, anything that, uh, what is not funny, things that aren't timed properly. You know, you can really die if you, if you, and you know, there's nothing like something that doesn't land well. And part of that, I think, is your approach. And if you take a long time doing it or don't move on quick enough, like you can say stuff. If you know you're going to be in trouble with the line, start the next line right away. Start change, segue out. You know what I mean, and then just move the, their attention over here. Sure. You never let that sit. You want to if you leave a bomb, you don't want to watch the whole thing explode. Uh, so I don't know. All joke jokes. Uh, uh, as far as comedians not being funny, uh, what's not funny? I don't want to. I, I don't think um, anybody has the right to say that. To be honest with you, because I used to think, man, how's that guy on TV? This guy's not funny. But hey. They're on TV and you're not, right? So they're doing something right. So comedy's so subjective. If this particular person has found a pathway to make people laugh, I give them credit. I mean, there's comics that for years, uh, impressionists got a bad name. They still get a bad name. Like uh, uh, regular stand-up comedians, they don't they don't think much of impressionists. They just don't. They think. They're like a juggler or a mime, you know, well, half a step above a mime, you know. Uh, but that's fine. What, what, what are you going to do, argue with the guy? You Not know? everyone can be a Picasso. Yeah, yeah. If you were a painter, what would you do? <laughs> I don't know. An, an impression, a post-impressionist. That was easy. Joe Conklin, Philadelphia sports comedian, thanks so much for joining us on the True Philadelphia Podcast. We're almost done our coffee. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Thanks to Joe Conklin. May he always keep us laughing and keep preventing our sports heroes from taking themselves too seriously. Thanks to you for listening to this podcast. I truly appreciate it. As I mentioned, this is the beginning of season three, and just like the creators of the TV show Lost, I have no idea how long this is going or how it will end. So for now, let's enjoy the ride and the people who embody what is great about living in the Philadelphia region. I'm Matt O'Donnell. 
Long live the true Philadelphia podcast.